I feel like I have not seen all of you in forever. <laughs> I guess last week I took off, and the week before that I was in junior high, but uh, it just sucks not being with you guys. <laughs> I, I say this all the time, but I just really love all of you, and God has truly blessed me with the opportunity that I have to serve you guys week in and week out. Um, so yeah, let's just hop right into the message today. Um, yeah, let's do it. Uh, but before we do, let's pray. Father God, we just give you all glory, honor, and praise for who you are. Father God, I thank you for this student ministry. I thank you for all of the leaders that you have placed here intentionally to help these students grow. Father, I thank you for Reston Bible in general and just the exciting time that it is to be here at RBC. We see from the children's ministry um, all the way through the eldest of the adults, Lord, just that you are working here right now. So God, I thank you that we get to be here and we get to be a part of this ministry. Uh, God, as I give this message today, just allow me to step back and for your Holy Spirit to move in. Uh, and God, I just openly yield to your Holy Spirit today. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. So you're all probably a little bit too young to... And the movie was about this man um, who was really struggling in life, and he felt completely abandoned by God. In fact, in one point of the movie, he declared that he thought that God was bullying him. He thought that God was specifically picking on him. And one day with his frustrations in life, <laughs> just peaks. He vents out his rage to God, not knowing that he's actually listening. After that, God answers his call and he summons him into a meeting where he offers Bruce the chance to see if he could run the world any better. So God gives Bruce all of the powers and responsibilities of God. And what happens? Well, Bruce now has the power to do whatever he wants, except for messing with people's free will. He's really enjoying his newfound powers. He uses them to make his life easier in a plethora of ways. Um, he potty trains his untrained dog to actually use the bathroom to use the toilet, which was weird, I thought. Um, he gets revenge on people who had wronged him in the past. Um, and most importantly to him, he gets the job that he had been chasing for years. Bruce finally gets everything it is that he wanted, but in the process, he ends up hurting everyone around him, including the one person who really seemed to care about him, which was his uh, long-term girlfriend. His selfish actions and him doing whatever he thought was right in his own eyes ended up ruining his relationship with his girlfriend, who, like I said, was the only one who cared about him. He had all the power in the world to do whatever it was that he wanted, but he ends up feeling empty, depraved, and depressed. It isn't until he finally submits to God's will and declares to stop living for himself that his life turns around and a difference is made. Now, this is a great example of man doing what is right in his own eyes. He ends up hurting everyone around him with little to no regard for their feelings 
their lives, or their circumstances. Now in Israel, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Everyone figured, well, there's no king. I can do whatever I please. Now, luckily for everyone, no one was given godlike abilities in Israel, uh, like in the movie, but the impact of their sin can still have a ripple effect through history. So today we're going to look at the story of a man named Micah who decided to do what was right in his own eyes and the effects of him living however he wanted. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to Judges 17, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 to start. So there was a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day he said to his mother, I heard you place a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money. I was the one who took it. The Lord blesses you for admitting it, his mother replied. He returned the money to her, and she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord. In honor of my son, I will have an image carved and an idol cast. So when he returned the money to his mother, she took 200 silver coins and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol. And these were placed in Micah's house. Micah set up a shrine for the idol and he made a sacred ephod and some household idols. Then he installed one of his sons as his personal priest. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Um, And I meant to mention, there's a lot of text today, so just bear with me as we read it, but we're going to get through it together. (laughs) Uh, So verse 7. One day, a young Levite who had been living in Bethlehem in Judah arrived in that area. He had left Bethlehem in search of another place to live. And as he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim. He happened to stop at Micah's house and he was traveling as he was traveling through. Where are you from? Micah asked him. He replied, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah and I'm looking for a place to live. Stay here with me, Micah said, and you can be a father and a priest to me. I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year, plus a change of clothes and your food. The Levite agreed to this and the young man became like one of Micah's sons. So Micah installed the Levite as his personal priest, and he lived in Micah's house. I know the Lord will bless me now, Micah said, because I have a Levite serving as my priest. So guys, right from the start here, we see that Micah is morally corrupt. We see him stealing from his very own mother, and he admits to it only when he hears that she had put a curse on the person who stole from her. He isn't doing it in true repentance or because he wanted to do what was right by his mother, but he only did it because he was afraid of the curse. This is proven even further by the way that the apology to his mother goes. Because Micah knew the law, and according to the law that was laid out in Leviticus chapter 6, if he were truly following what the Lord had told him to do, he would have done two more things. One thing would have been to acknowledge his sins before the Lord in the tabernacle by paying restitution to his mother. And the second thing that he should have done, according to the law, would have been to sacrifice a guilt offering through the priest of atonement. So the fact that he does neither of these two things means that Micah truly was not repenting. It means that he truly was not sorry for what he did. And it also shows the state of Israel at the time. There was no king, and everyone did what seemed right to them. Micah ignored the law, and he thought, all right, as long as I do, or as long as I tell her, um, excuse me, 
as long as I tell her I took it and I give it back, I'll be fine. You know, I won't have to pay uh, the restitution. I don't need to make an offering. I'm just going to do what seems right so I don't get cursed. (laughs) But immediately after that, because Micah's mother was gracious, she forgave him. And in fact, she wanted to bless him for telling the truth. So she makes an idol out of some of the silver that Micah had returned to her. Micah then sets up a shrine for that idol. And then he makes a secret ephod and, and some household idols. And ephod is some kind of uh, priestly breastplate. And it was used in religious ceremonies. And uh, during this time, they were mainly ornamentally decorated. Um, but they had also become objects of worship themselves. So he makes his son one of his personal priests, which should have only been reserved for a Levite, which is God's chosen priests. Now, eventually, Micah does meet a Levite, and he hires him to be his personal priest. Um, But even though only a priest could consecrate a priest, Micah still does it anyways. So this shows that although Micah was idolatrous and he was living in a life of sin, that this priest here was just as lost as Micah was. So in the final verse of the chapter, Micah says, I know the Lord will bless me, uh, or I know the Lord will bless me now because I have a Levite serving as my priest. Guys, in these verses, we see Micah disregard the Lord so many times, just over and over again, and yet he still claims to worship him. He mixes the worship, uh, excuse me, he he mixes his worship with the God of Israel with worship of other false gods and idols from all over the place. He does what he wants and he expects the Lord to bless him even though he's only seeking after his own personal gain. The first thing that I want you guys to understand today is that we cannot pick and choose what we want to take away from the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 say, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means that we have to take all of scripture to heart. Not some of it, not part of it, but all of scripture to heart. Micah failed to do this. And that's why he ended up living in this cycle of sin. And he ended up caring only about himself. Now, of course, even though we take all scripture to heart, that doesn't mean that we do everything perfectly all the time. But it's all about your heart behind it. In fact, we read and we study the Bible to the best of our ability, or excuse me, we read and we study the Bible, and then we try to live it out to the best of our abilities for what God has laid out for us. Yes, we still make mistakes, and that's okay, but it's all about us doing our best to truly live our lives for Christ. But Micah knew the law, and yet he disregarded it. He ignores so many of the Lord's commands here, And yet he tries to get the Lord to bless him just because he has a Levite for a priest. So Micah chooses the parts of the word that he wants to obey, but we can't just treat God like that. Guys, you can do all the religious things that you want. 
You can go to church, you can go to small groups, and you can invite your friends to church or whatever it is. But without a relationship with God, without truly following him, it's pointless. So for our first table discussion, we have a few questions. Um, So one, do you ever pick and choose the rules that you want to follow? Two, what makes some rules harder to follow than others? And three, do you only follow rules when there are others watching? Let's take about five minutes, discuss those at your table, then we'll come back. All right, guys, let's start to bring it back together. So, what are some rules that we easily break or some rules that we can just have a straight up disregard for? And I know this is a tough question, so I'll go first. So how many of us here drive? Raise your hand. (laughs) I think everybody knows where this is going. I think everybody knows where this is going. (laughs) Now, (laughs) the speed limit, let's say the speed limit is 45 miles an hour. (laughs) I'm, me personally... I'm going at least 50, and I'm, that's just me being honest. So, guys, what are some rules that we easily break sometimes or have a disregard for? Anybody? Huh? Speeding? Yes, that's one. Screen time limits. That's a good one. Who else? Tax? Are you? Are you evading taxes? <laughs> all right, guys. All right, all right. All right. Well, I have a list. I have a list of a few laws that, in my opinion, are just kind of goofy. Just these laws are goofy. But listen, listen to these. In Richmond. Richmond, Virginia, it's illegal to flip a coin to decide who pays for coffee. And listen, the rest of these, the rest of these laws are from Alabama because I got lazy and there's a long list, but just listen. Um, so in Alabama, in a certain city, you're not allowed to wear blue jeans down Noble Street. Um, dominoes may not be played on Sunday. Uh, it's illegal to wear a fake mustache that causes laughter in church. Um, you may not drive barefoot and you may not, listen to the last one, you may not have an ice cream cone in your back pocket at any time. (laughs) Now, (laughs) all right, guys, all right, guys. Now, these are rules that all of us probably find pretty silly and goofy and ridiculous, right? But... Because they may be inconvenient or silly or whatever the reason, does that make it right to break them? (laughs) I heard some yeses, but I'm going to assume we all know that the answer is no. But I mean, can't it be inconvenient sometimes to tell the truth? And yet, how many of us, myself included, have lied? Micah decided to live how he wanted because it was more convenient for him. But we will see that the convenience that him living his own way, uh, the convenience, the price for his convenience is that he ends up hurting others in the process. Let's continue in the text. Judges 18, 1 through 6. 
Now in those days, Israel had no king, and the tribe of Dan was trying to find a place where they could settle. For they had not yet moved into the land assigned to them when the land was divided amongst the tribes of Israel. So the men of Dan chose from their clans five capable warriors from the towns of Zorah and Eshtaol to scout out the land for them to settle in. When these warriors arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, they came to Micah's house and, and spent the night there. While at Micah's house, they recognized the young Levite's accent, so they went over to ask him, Who brought you here? And uh, what are you doing in this place? Why are you here? He told them about his agreement with Micah and that he had been hired as Micah's personal priest. Then they said, Ask God whether or not our journey will be successful. Go in peace, the priest said, for the Lord is watching over your journey. So here, so here, there was a tribe of, uh, of Israel called the tribe of Dan or the Danites, uh, and they hadn't moved into their side land, uh, and they were looking for a place to settle. So basically, they failed to conquer what the Lord had given them or what the Lord uh, had told them to conquer. Um, and so now they were searching on their own, in their own power, for a people weak enough uh, for them to take their land away. So they sent a few scouts to search out the place, and uh, while they were out scouting, they spent the night at Micah's house. And while they were there, they met the Levite priest. They then asked for their journey to be blessed, uh, or they then asked him about their journey, and he blessed it, saying that the Lord was with them. Now, this is what the Levite was expected to say. It's what he was paid to say. You know, the Danites weren't paying him to give them bad news. They wanted their journey to be blessed. But uh, listen to this, guys. Oops, sorry. If you've only ever get good news from a spiritual leader, they likely are not doing their full job. Life is very difficult. And as ministry workers, I'm sure that Christina or I or Lee, even any of our volunteers will tell you, that there are often very difficult situations that we have to deal with and we have to tell people some hard truths. So if the only thing that you're ever hearing is good news, then it's likely that you may need to seek out other counsel. But they came to the priest, he blessed their journey. You know, <laughs> doesn't say that he prayed at all. He said, go, the Lord is with you. Um, and I feel like that's a detail that they would have included. Um, let's continue. So the five men went out or went on to the town of Laish where they noticed the people living carefree lives like the Sidonians. They were peaceful and secure. The people were also wealthy because their land was very fertile and they lived a great distance from Sidon and had no alleys near, allies nearby. When the men returned to Zorah and Ishtaol, their relatives asked them, uh, what did you find? The men replied, come on, let's attack them. We have seen the land and it is very good. What are you waiting for? Don't hesitate to go and take possession of it. When you get there, you will find the people living carefree lives. God has given us a spacious and fertile land lacking in nothing. So the Danites seemingly having God's blessing see this, bland, see this land. They see that it's fertile. They see that it's peaceful and it looked ripe for the taking. They were ready to attack so they could live uh, this full and wealthy lives, just like the people who were currently there. Um, but look at the danger here. God has given us a spacious and fertile land lacking nothing. Again, 
we see that the people of Israel, the Danites right now, are trying to mix God with these other pagan rituals. They worshiped at Micah's shrine, so we know that that's them mixing it already because his shrine was not a shrine to the God of Israel. But they worshiped at Micah's shrine and they got a blessing from his priest. So they're now assuming that uh, God is at the head of this operation when in reality, he's not. But really, they're just doing what seems right to them and they're putting the Lord's name on it so they can feel good about themselves. I don't think I need to say this, but that is not okay. We cannot make plans in our life without the Lord and then claim it in his name, right? I can't say, you know what? This car right here looks really nice, so I'm gonna steal it in Jesus's name, (laughs) right? We can't do that. (laughs) You can, but you shouldn't. In fact, Proverbs 16, uh, Proverbs 16, one through three says, to humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person ways seem pure in heart to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. The verse that stuck out to me here the most was two. All a person's ways seem pure to them. You know, the other day I was in an argument with a friend and I was getting so frustrated because I'm just thinking, I'm right. I'm right. Why can she not see that I'm right and that she's in the wrong? Well, this is why. It's because all of our ways seem pure to us. In our hearts, all of our ways seem pure. And maybe she thought that I was being unreasonable. And I definitely thought that she was being unreasonable. But we always think that we know what's best or what is right, but we see in Proverbs that we do not. Although I was probably right in this case. Anyways, (laughs) this also extends to our plans for our lives. Yes, we can have dreams and it's good to have dreams and it's good to make plans. But the instruction here is that you have to commit those plans. You have to commit those dreams and those, those wants to the Lord. And he will establish your plans for you. So the Danites, they almost had it right. They did seek out a priest and they tried to commit their plans to the Lord. But the issue here is that because of the idolatry that was present in Israel in the time, they were not truly committing their plans to the Lord. But they were doing what seemed right. And so they continued on their journey. Um. And just for the sake of time, we're supposed to have another table time, but I'm going to keep on pushing past this. But I'm going to ask you guys this question. How is it that we commit our plans to the Lord? How is it that we commit whatever we do to the Lord? Anybody? What I mean by that is how do we put God first in our plans, our hopes, our dreams? Let's say I'm looking, I want to go to a certain college, right? That's my plan. How do I commit that to the Lord? Grace. Praying, correct, absolutely. What else? Yes, Landon. Meditating on the Lord, Lord. yes. Yes. Read the Bible. Bible. Wow, you guys, all three, right. (laughs) And there are other ways, but those those are something that I was looking for. Um, But we have to build our lives upon the Bible and upon God's promises, right? If we completely depend on God and our work, he will establish our plans. That is to say, he will bring them about or cause it to happen. Now we can expect God to bring our work into fruition in God's way and in God's time 
if we depend on him in our efforts. But part of committing our work to the Lord, of course, is seeking God's will. When, we, when our work aligns with God's will, then success will follow. Now, I was speaking with a few of my friends uh, a few weeks ago, and we're reading through John 15. And I said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And although we'd all heard this verse thousands of times, probably, you know, we're like, hmm, whatever will be done for you, whatever will be done for you. Right, guys? And that sounds crazy, but this is a rule with a condition. Oh, yep. There we go. Sorry. (laughs) So, but this is a rule with a condition. It has a whole set of verses before it outlining how our behavior should be, right? Sometimes you want to take the second half of the verse and forget the first half. It says, if you remain in me or abide in me in some versions and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. When we truly remain in the Lord, his will starts to become our will. We have to stay in his word and in constant communication with him. If we don't, then our will just continues to be our will. And I'm going to give you guys an example from my own life. And so, as you guys just saw, I had Spider-Man on the screen. Um, But yeah, I love to play video games. And when I was younger, I literally used to be able to play video games from the moment I woke up to the moment I fell asleep. I'm not speaking figuratively. I am speaking literally right now. Um, And... Yeah, it was, it was bad. <laughs> now, I haven't been super excited about a video game in some time, but the first game that I pre-ordered in years was Marvel Spider-Man 2. Now, <laughs> now I love superheroes, I love video games, and the first Spider-Man game was a literal masterpiece. Um, and so I was so excited to play it. I warned my friends that I'd be busy that weekend and uh, that when it came out that they should not try to make plans with me. Um, And so I started playing the game uh, that day and I loved it. It was really good. Um, It's really good. But to be honest, I did not have the desire to play it all day. Um, And it was honestly a shock to me. But what I had realized is that I had grown and as I had grown and I had matured in my faith with the Lord, that God had started to change my desires and my wants. Now, this isn't to say that video games are bad, but when I was sitting there playing, I realized that, yeah, this is really fun, but there's other things I'd rather be doing in life. I'd rather be spending time building genuine relationships with other Christians around me. I'd rather be in God's word, just uh, learning and growing closer to him. This just isn't all that I want anymore. Now, like I said, I really was shocked by this because I enjoyed the game so much. It, it, it really is amazing. Uh, <laughs> but as I'd spent more time with the Lord and he started to change my heart, I started to desire more Christ-like things. And this is what happens when we abide in the Lord and we stay in his presence. Now, I'm definitely not perfect but I'm constantly working to remain in him and to have his words also remain in me. Let's keep going. Judges 18, 11 through 21. Again, a lot of text, so just stick with me. So 600 men from the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Ishtaol. They camped at a place west of um, Kiriath-Jerim in Judah, uh, which is called Mahane Dan to this day. Uh, then, they, then they went on from there into the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. The five men who had scouted out the land around Laish explained to the others 
These buildings contain a sacred ephod and as well as some household idols, a carved image and a cast idol. What do you think you should do? Then the five men turned off the road and went over to Micah's house where the young Levite lived and greeted him kindly. As the 600 armed warriors from the tribe of Dan stood at the entrance of the gate, the five scouts entered the shrine and removed the carved image, the sacred ephod and the household idols and, ca and the cast idol. Meanwhile, the priest was standing at the gate with 600 armed warriors. When the priest saw the men carrying all the sacred objects out of Micah's shrine, he said, what are you doing? Be quiet and, sorry, uh, be quiet and come with us, they said. Be a father and a priest to all of us. Isn't it better to be a priest for an entire tribe and a clan of Israel than for the household of just one man? The young priest was quite happy to go with them, so they took along the sacred ephod and the household idols and the carved image. They turned and started on their way, again placing their children, livestock, and possessions in front of them. So basically, these guys gathered up their army, and they prepared to take the land that they believed the Lord had prepared for them. They also stole Michael's idol to worship for themselves, and they even took his priest. Let's continue. Um, when the people from the tribe of Dan were quite a distance from Micah's house, the people who lived near Micah came chasing after them. They were shouting as they caught up with them. The men of Dan turned around and said to Micah, what's the matter? Why have you called these men together and chased after us like this? What do you mean, what's the matter, Micah replied. You've taken away all the gods I have made and my priest and I have nothing left. The men of Dan said, watch what you say. There are some short-tempered men around here who might get angry and kill you and your family. So the men of Dan continued on their way when Mike, on their way. When Micah saw that there were too many of them to attack, he turned around and went home. Uh, then with Micah's idols and his priest, the men of Dan came up to the town of Laish, uh, whose people were peaceful and secure. They attacked with swords and burned the town to the ground. There was no one to rescue the people, and for they lived a long distance from Sidon and had no allies nearby. This happened in the valley near Beth Rahab. Then the people of the tribe of Dan rebuilt the town and lived there. They renamed the town Dan after their ancestor, Israel's son, but had originally been called Laish. Then they set up the carved image and they appointed Jonathan, son of uh, Gershom, son of Moses, as their priest. This family continued as priest of the tribe of Dan until the exile. So Micah's carved image was worshipped by the tribe of Dan as long as the tabernacle of God remained in Shalom. So guys, look at this. The Danites were so deep in their own world of sin that taking the priest and the idol just seemed straight up okay to them. Verses 23 and 24, they ask, why are you chasing us? And Micah sternly says, what do you mean why you took everything that I have? These men warned him to be careful or they would kill Micah and his family because that's just what seemed right to them. After this, they wiped out the people of Laish and settled there, and they used Michael's idol as an item of worship for the rest of their days. And guys, we live in a world where we're constantly encouraged to follow our own hearts above all else. But as we've talked about before, our hearts are deceitful above all else. If we gave into our hearts and our intrusive thoughts, we would all constantly hurt those around us with little to no regard for how they felt. So instead of giving into our hearts, we're meant to trust God and his promises. And throughout the book of Judges, we see countless examples of, of, of people who don't trust God or who question God or only partially obey God or straight up reject God. 
And each of these stories has a long and difficult account of the things that these biblical characters did wrong instead of just leaning into the Lord. But just as we wrap up today, I just want to take a look at the story of, uh, of Othniel. And I accidentally did not put the slide up there. So uh, it's only five verses, though, so that's okay. Um, but Judges 3, verses 7 through 11, it says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served images of Baal and Asherah poles. Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to King Kushan uh, Rishthathaim of Aram Naharaim. And the Israelites served Kushan for eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up the rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Kushan of Aram, and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was peace in the land for 40 years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. That's it. <laughs> Five verses is all it says about Othniel. Now, does that mean that he was unimportant? No. In fact, you can tell, uh, or who can tell what the difference was uh, between Othniel and every other judge that we've studied this far? What was the difference? What we see here is that Othniel is the only account that lacks any kind of negative aspect or portrayal. We could see that Othniel can be kind of used as a counter to all of the other judges that we've studied. The Lord raised up Othniel, he obeyed, and Israel was delivered. He can almost be seen as the standard or, or as the ideal judge. Othniel trusted the Lord our God and he kept his promises. And guys, it really is as simple as that. Now, I don't want you to think that that means that Othniel's life was perfect because based on the context of the Bible, we know that only Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. But we can clearly see that Othniel was obedient to the Lord and that God kept his promise and delivered Israel. So when we are aligned with God and his word and his perfect will, we will not be perfect, but God will always be faithful and true. In fact, guys, I think it's important to remember that we cannot be perfect. But that's why we have a Savior that loves us so much that he came down to this earth, became man, took on flesh, and lived a perfect life so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice. He could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins and for our shortcomings. And if you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ today, I'd love, I would love to talk to you about the one and only man who lived a perfect life on this earth. But for now, let's just continue and wrap up. So like I said, we cannot be perfect. We can't be perfect on this earth. It doesn't matter what you do. But what we can be is faithful. Romans 6, 15 through 22 says, or 15 through 18 rather is what we'll do. Um, what then shall we sin or shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sins, which leads to death or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks to God that through you, you, though you used to be sent slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin 
and have become slaves to righteousness. So there's the choice. Become slaves to righteousness and obedience or stay slaves to sin. The choice really is yours. But we're all going to serve something. We're all going to serve someone. We all follow something with our whole entire heart. And you can choose the kind of life that you want to live. You can choose the kind of life. um, You can choose the kind of life that you want to live. The whole series we've talked about doing what's right in your own eyes. And we've talked about people being selfish or fearful or giving into sin. And I know that it can look hopeless, but there absolutely is an alternative. You don't have to live a life uh, like that, but you can choose who you want to follow. You can follow yourself, your own heart and your selfish desires, or you can follow the God of the universe who has been and always will be faithful good and true. And I just want to encourage you guys here today by saying that deciding to follow Jesus Christ was the best decision I have ever made in my life. Now, do I still sin? Yes. Do I still struggle? Yes. But God has kept his promise and been faithful to me in my life. And I know that he will never leave or forsake me. Let's pray. So, Father God, we thank you that you are the definition of faithful. God, we thank you that you're a God who will always be by our side. Lord, as we've seen through the series of Judges, God, that no matter how much we mess up, Lord, when we call on you, you are right there, ready to accept us and ready to bring us in, God, to deliver us. So, Father God, right now I just pray for anyone here who hasn't placed their faith in you. Lord, that you would just reveal yourself to them, that they would come to know who you are. And God, I pray for the people here who have accepted you but are still living like some of the judges that we've seen, Lord. Help them to just be obedient to you, to not be slaves to sin, God, but to turn and to be a slave to righteousness and to serve you, the God of the universe. Lord, we thank you. We give you all glory, honor, and praise. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.